Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Let me be the last to wish you Happy New Year. (laughs) Yeah, we both beat Matt to it, so that's what kind of year it's going to (sighs) be. I Just guess. the way I like it. Last place. Well, taking umbrage is something that doesn't matter, you know? <laughs> <laughs> who, who would I taking be if I could personally. harbor resentments against something that is meaningless? Yes. Um, yeah. Hey, listener, hope your 2024 is off to a good start and that you can make jokes at your own expense like I do uh, because it's a better way to live. Um, if you can make your deepest pathologies into C-minus jokes, the world is a better place. Uh Hopefully you had good uh, holidays, right? Yeah, there's something yeah. to that. We're yeah. in the middle of Christmas tide. Uh, it's still the twelve days of Christmas. Yes. Um, Epiphany so don't, is coming. Epiphany's coming. Epiphany's coming. Don't uh, you know? Don't lose. Don't lose that holiday cheer. Yeah. Hopefully your Christmas trees are still up. Don't yeah. Don't take those Christmas trees down. <laughs> Yet. Yeah. Um, anyway, Christmas. Hopefully lights, you had a good holiday. The whole thing. And we're recording this before the holidays because we're going to take the holidays off. So I can't even ask yeah. you how your Christmas was. We'll have to do that sometime in. We'll February. have to do it. Yeah, sometime. I'm in sure the... it was great. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas is always great. Right? You know, Paul I and mean... I aren't doing gifts this year oh. uh, because no, no Christmas gifts, no anniversary, no birthday, no Valentine's, no nothing. Because oh. we're you've been married so long. Tub. No, oh. we're getting what? a hot tub. Oh what? yes, come on, people. It's going to be a great oh. year. Hang on a second. Hey, Sharon. <laughs> the Penleys Matt's are getting a hot tub. <laughs> She's gonna want to come visit. Oh yes, I'm she is. Come tub. on, she may show up by herself with her suitcase. Yeah, <laughs> I love so, it. I booked um, a ticket. You know what? As we're recording this, so the hot tub is fun. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't wait to tell Sharon more about it. Uh, although I don't know anything more about it, I'm just gonna make up things. <laughs> um, when you're listening to this, listener, uh, Christy and I will be in Orlando, Florida together. Yes, we will. And maybe seeing oh each gosh, other at Disney World. Disney so. World. Come on. Wow. It's going to be great. Disney World. Yeah. I feel like well, I'm out of the loop. With with you guys, I'm out of the loop on college football rivalries. I'm also out of the loop on like Disney. Like my, when my kids were younger, we did Disney a few times. Um, but, you know, I just, I don't go there. I don't think about Disney. 
Mm. I don't think about college football. Mm. Um, I don't know. Just I'm feeling out of the loop. But now you will every time you use my Michigan salt and pepper shakers okay, I yes, gave you. I will. Yeah. I will. I'll, every day. I'll make a note. I'll make a note to be like, what can I look up about college football controversies? So yeah. anyway, <laughs> yeah. Jim Harbaugh. I'm trying to remember from the last episode. But a new <laughs> so, year. I love new years. New year, I love starting things new. Like I like beginning again. Can, can you guys believe it's 2024 though? I no. I mean, it feels like, it no. feels like. I still, in some, in a lot of ways, I still feel like I'm 24 years old. <laughs> yes. And like 2024 is a year that you read about in a science fiction novel or, yeah. you know, you like you walk and you're like, man, flying cars and jetpacks probably in 2024. Right. Yep. And it's like, nope, just normal cars and potholes in the road and no jetpacks, <laughs> no jetpacks. Nobody's flying anywhere. You're still just walking around. Yep. I don't know. I, di- I didn't guess this for 2024. Yeah, I didn't either. I don't know. It's uh, it's it's the fourth iteration of 2020. That's kind of how I describe 2024. It does feel a bit like I'm <laughs> like stuck it, in a loop, like yeah. a pandemic loop. I yeah. don't know. Um, I've been That's forgetting things lately. Ben, we were talking about this. Yeah. I've been forgetting things lately. My wife brought it up to me. So uh, It's a normal process of aging, but you're not that old yet. I'm not that old. Um, yeah. So maybe I have a tapeworm. I don't know. I got to figure it out. Yeah. Hopefully you're not experiencing early cognitive decline. Don't well, worry. I'll just keep reminding you that I'm like your favorite female co-host. That's true. And Ben's your favorite male co-host. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Christy. I'll need that. That'll that'll be helpful. That'll yeah, be helpful. You know. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, anyway, well today, who we who we listening to? We've got an interview today with Cheryl Bridges Johns. Um and we're talking about making the Bible dangerous again. Still in our Bible series. Yeah. We decided Fun to extend this into the new year because we kept finding new people to talk to. Right. <laughs> so we'll just continue this until we run out of interesting people to talk to. Yeah. So, so yeah, this is, um, were you on this interview, Christy? I can't remember. We recorded this a while back. Yeah. yeah sometimes they bleed together. <laughs> um. <laughs> I don't, I'm sorry. I really should know the answer to this, but. Uh, that's all good. That's all good. That's all good. Holiday um, brain. I'm forgetting yes. things. I'm getting old. Oh, man. <laughs> Come on, everybody. Early now cognitive decline. Here we go. Here we go. Well, um, yes. We should get into anyway, it. Anyway. Yeah, let's get into it. Cheryl Bridges Johns, everybody. Let's, uh, let's listen to hear what she has to say. Cheryl Bridges-Johns joins us today on the Gravity Podcast. She's a pastor and theologian who has taught college and seminary students for over 40 years. She is visiting professor and director of the Pentecostal House of Studies at United Theological Seminary and previously taught at Pentecostal Theological Seminary and is past president of the Society for Pentecostal Studies. Today, she joins our show to talk about her newest book, Reenchanting the Text, Discovering the Bible as Sacred, Dangerous and mysterious. Cheryl, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thank you, Matt. It's an honor to be with you. Um, this is the first interview we've done 
about a book that has the phrase re-enchanting or the the word re-enchanting in the title. Um, Maybe we could start with just that word because I, uh, the word enchantment is enchanting <laughs> in a way. Like yeah. it creates this, it evokes sort of a, a wonder and a possibility and an openness. So mm-hmm. maybe we could talk, what, what do you mean by enchantment? And and how have we come to be in a place that needs re-enchanting? Yeah. Um, as you noted in the book, as you noticed in the book, I dialogued a lot with Charles Taylor and that big uh, volume of secular age and others. And, and he, he talks about, um, as did Max Weber at the turn of the 20th century, the whole um, modern secular project to disenchant the world. Um, Taylor uses the word excarnation, the evacuation of any of the supernatural from the natural and a long history of that, post-enlightenment history in which um, we no longer live in this in this uh, luminous cosmos that is full of mystery and wonder. We now know better. You know, we live in this, can't use Newtonian physics, you know, this sort of mechanical universe that uh, once we understand all the laws and how everything operates, we can just master and control everything. So the more we... Um, we have done that in history. Uh, we have objectified the world. And when you objectify, um, you, you make it uh, sterile, uh, something under your control. And so much of the natural world has been victim to that, um, as well as other things. But the Bible was not um, immune to this project. And especially in the late 1800s, it became much more of a scientific document that people had to analyze. And it became an artifact of history. It caught, it got caught in history in some ways. And uh, both the the so-called liberals and the fundamentalists were treating the Bible pretty much as a flat historical artifact. The fundamentalists such as Hodge and Warfield, it was a perfect, exact, uh, you know, document that when Jesus went back to heaven, he didn't send the Holy Spirit. He gave us this perfect book, scientifically proven, as Josh McDowell said in the 80s, evidence that demands a verdict. And then on the other side, you have extreme historical critical uh, analysis where the Bible is an artifact of history and an artifact of human communities as they try to understand and witness to uh, a deity. But in both cases, the understanding of the Bible is sacramental or mysterious, um, of, that it was somehow divine or beyond us. Yeah, let me use that, beyond us beyond our control, beyond our interpretation, beyond just beyond us, um, it, it just became all under our control. We owned it. We buy it. We sell it. It's a great commodity. Uh, we weaponize it. We um, have great apologetics. We, you know, 
just the list could go on, but that's what I mean by it's a it's a victim to the whole disenchantment process. Mm. Yeah. You just used a word uh, sacramental uh, sacraments, and I'd love to just double click on that for just a second mm-hmm. um, because I think many of our listeners might not expect someone from a Pentecostal background to kind of use that mm-hmm. terminology. And so, what do you mean by sacramental? What and what does that have to do with reenchantment? Yeah, you know, I just would take a basic, maybe Ronner view of, of a sacramental that it's um, um, it is a sign, a gift, um, an efficacious means of the grace of God. We we would say, okay, the Eucharist is that, mm-hmm. and a lot of times in Protestant churches, the um, ministers are ordained as for word and sacrament. And one of the things that the Protestant Reformation did poorly, I think, is to separate word and sacrament. And doing that, it's almost like you have to choose what kind of Protestant are you? Are you a word Protestant? Are you a sacramental Protestant? And I said false choice. And uh, there is, I think, sacramental worldview that Pentecostals have always had but, um, you know, it was labeled as um, naive. Uh, it was labeled as uh, uh, pre-modern, uh, you, you know, go magical, whatever. And Paul Tillich, in his lectures, the Protestant era, you know, he said that Protestant Reformation did take out some of the magic of the old churches in the sense that, um the symbol and that which it symbolized became collapsed. And therefore um, it it was hard for people not to just worship the symbol. And and it's, and by symbol, I don't mean um, a um, radical reformation view of that. I mean that there is a, a sign, a symbol here. And what happened, I think is that, um, as, as he says there, as Tillich says, in doing that, it was good to set free the word, the freedom of the word as a deconstructive power, um, the preached word that just causes us to tremble. But he said the next era of Protestantism will mean to re, um, re-sacramentalize nature. And not just the, the Eucharist, the oil, the wine, the water, the, the wind, the trees, um, so that we, uh, because in, in having this word, it became disembodied, it became sterile, um, it became a Zwingli kind of thing where anything that would inhibit you, said Zwingli, from hearing the word had to be just taken out into the streets of Zurich and burned. And um, so there's this re, I think a re um, sacramentalizing of the world that those of you in your generation, Ben and and Matt and Christy, you know, you're all part of that. Um, And you know what my, my, I would want to say, well, don't forget about the freedom of the word. Um, I was talking to a young man the other day over coffee and he, came out of a, I think, of Southern Baptist tradition 
into Anglican. And he said, you know, Cheryl, sometimes I really miss those powerful sermons. Homilies are not enough. And I said, well, why do you have to choose? I mean, what's the choice here? Um, So I do think that we have to maybe understand that word is not um, the opposite of sacrament. And word is bigger than scripture, for sure. And that uh, it was word that gave us the material world, the sacramental world. And so that's how I kind of tease that out some. I do that in the book a bit, too, I think. And now a word from a sponsor. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. All right, let's get back into our conversation. Yeah, what I hear you saying is that a sacrament is a way of, is almost an an epistemology. It's almost an ontology. It's a way of being in the world that Mm -hmm. rejects kind of this bifurcation. You know, uh, 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 an Eastern Orthodox priest that I've learned a lot from talks about um, modernity is living in a two-story universe where we have us down here with the material Mm -hmm. stuff and God out there, up there, away from here. And once in a while, God breaks in here, but most of the time he lives upstairs and we live downstairs. Yep, that's it right there. In a sacramental, what I hear you saying, a sacramental world is we live in a one-story universe mm-hmm. with all kinds of overlapping and interpenetrating where the physical communi- can communicate spiritual and where spiritual oh, yeah. things are made up of the material. And, and I think that that... That's to me when I think about enchantment, that's enchanting. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. It is enchanting. It's mysterious too, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe looping back around to some of what you talked about earlier, um, just in terms of um the modern world, um, that kind of thing, that you 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 argue that the rejection of modernity, which we're seeing quite a bit these days, you've re-referenced, you know, our generation and younger generations are, are way more open to the enchantment of the world, including the Bible, um, than maybe previous generations. And I, I, I remember though, growing up, um, I mean, it, this was not that, uh, not that many years ago. Tell us stories from when you were Dan- young, Ben. Tell us this, right, tell yeah, some yeah, stories yeah. way back then. When I was a child. Um, but I remember hearing about the dangers of post-modernity, right? The, like oh, yeah. the, the, there's not going to be any truth, you know, um, you know, if everything is relative, like how are we mm-hmm. going to know what's what's correct, you know, and what's true? Um, but actually, you're seeing a lot more of an opportunity for us to reclaim something that we've lost from the scriptures and from the world. I mean, that's another interesting aspect of what we're talking about here is 
not just the reenchantment of the scriptures, but the whole world yes. needs to be reenchanted. We need to understand it mm-hmm. more sacramentally. But I don't know, maybe maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. Um, can you help us see maybe the opportunity in our cultural moment where a lot of the assumptions we had about modernity are being questioned or being shaken? People are starting to think, you know what, maybe this isn't what the world is really like. Oh, yeah. Maybe there's more. Um, right. Years ago, my husband wrote, I think, a seminal piece in the Journal for Pentecostal Theology, um, which he called uh, Pentecostalism in a Postmodern Worldview, in which he says pretty much that for Pentecostals, um, the supernatural reality and our God can be present in any place, at any time, anywhere. It's kind of like the Gospel of Mark which is such an enchanting, terrifying text sometimes, but you're just going about your daily business and all of a sudden it's like some veil is pulled and a demon comes out or it's just um, that very thin world. And I believe we, as we became more Westernized and uh, because I know Pentecostals in the non-Western world who still have this enchanted worldview and, but we became evangelical in the in the sense of taking the assumption that uh, faith is reason, faith is belief in uh, sort soteriology of do you believe these things that deductive thinking and lo- lost a lot of this enchanted uh, worldview. And I do I think I say in the in the book that this so-called postmodern or maybe it's hypermodern modern world in some ways um, it it allows for deconstruction and um, it allows for uh, marginal voices and truth that had been marginalized to come in but it can become a carnival or a cacophony or um, and in some ways, it can be hypermodern because deconstruction is a lot of frontal lobe analysis, and I think that's great. But it, um, without a way out, it becomes what um, Altizer called um, or Mark Taylor, yeah, in his essay "Airing," which he said uh, it's like a, a, a funhouse where there is no entrance, no exit, you, you play it, but that is, um, that can drive you insane. And that, um, and so deconstruction can become a trap and you're constantly tearing apart, tearing apart, tearing apart when there's nothing, a sense of otherness, no way out. Um, and I've seen a lot of people rightly deconstruct the fundamentalism or whatever that they grew up with, but they took the same dichotomizing rational way of thinking over to, okay, the progressive camp. Yes. They're not any happier. They're they're just as mean. (laughs) And it's not um, giving them the freedom that they thought it was going to give them. They're still trapped in their own power. Uh, So what can save us from ourselves is, um, the otherness that is there, that is larger, that is more deep, more mysterious, um, and even more dangerous. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's almost like, um, you, you have to be willing to deconstruct. I mean, we're using that metaphor maybe in slightly different ways and it's used in a lot of different ways, but you almost have to be able to deconstruct a little bit further, right? Where you, you don't just keep the same modernist frames, but you actually have to call that frame into question in order to, which is really difficult for a lot of us just because we, I think we've grown up just thinking like, oh yeah, the, the materialist scientific, like this way of looking at the world just is what the world is. Mm -hmm. And then anything else is fairy stories is, you know, fantastic, is not real. Mm -hmm. And like recovering this sacramental imagination, the re-enchantment of the world, including the Bible, that, that actually, I mean, it's, it's breathtaking (laughs) to come at like, well, maybe there's more at work here than meets the eye. You know, maybe, maybe the stuff that we encounter with our five senses is not all there is, or maybe the stuff that we're encountering with our five senses, there's more to it than just what we can record scientifically. Yeah. Yeah. And as much, you know, I love the power that the enlightenment and science has given us critical reflection, reasoning, education, the power to be a subject over the world rather than this passive object in a world because that mysterious cosmos that many of our peasant ancestors lived in, it um, caused them to see some things wrongly. And it created a sense of fatalism. That they, So I love what we now have with the ability yeah. to reason, to um, to be self-grounded. Uh, I'm just grateful that I was educated and that I can have a hermeneutic of suspicion. So I don't want to give, I don't want to give that power up, but I also know that as a Pentecostal, I can be slain in the spirit and it's gone. It's, it's, um, it's something bigger takes hold of you. And, yeah, and that, um, and, and one thing that I, I feel is necessary, at least in my tradition, is that I need to be around people who don't have that power, mm. who not even maybe have a GED, who may be ba- barely literate, through whom the Spirit speaks and reads my book. Yeah. And I think that is a, one of the gifts of Azusa Street and other places like that is that if you are around people who look like you and think like you, nothing really kind of changes much. You just all reinforce one another, but um, to submit to a sense of your, submit your epistemology, your way of knowing to um, the spirit who delights in confounding the educated and the wise, as the New Testament likes to point out, uh, to use the weak of the world. That, I think, is necessary for true enchantment. It's really good. Cheryl, you use words like magic and wonder. It shows up in your book a number of times, and kind of you point out how the modern world is fascinated by the idea of or the reality of magic, mm-hmm. um, and were, were people starved by wonder. Um, what connection exists in your mind between re-enchanting 
the Bible and its fascination with magic. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, Tolkien's essay on fairy stories, he distinguishes between magic and enchantment Hmm. where he says enchantment is um, where the agent of enchantment is creating some space, but invites others to participate like this, Cimmerillion, as it begins, the creation story, um, the, the beings there uh, are invited to sing the song of creation. And you're invited in, and, and he makes the distinction that magic is um, more of having a power over and um, like a sorcerer's power. So he kind of, you know, opted for this preference of enchantment. And I, I will, I do that so that I, I do think that enchantment is not getting you getting this power that can um, cast spells on somebody or take somebody down or because it's not about power. It's about um, participation in a world that is beyond you and you're invited to come into that world. So scripture for me is um, grounded in the life of God and the economic life of God to God's plan to heal all of creation. And scripture is used in that uh, a means of that to, I will use a word like a portal or a, a door or an enchanting song bringing us into a space where we are not controlled by magic, but are enchanted by the heavenly beings or by a psalm or by whatever. And it's um, not going to have a power over us as much as a, a um, doorway of, uh, for us to enter. Yeah. Meaning like a more of an invitation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An invitation. We'll be right back. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, our 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn how to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life that God shares with us. It is a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying out some new practices. In the Gravity Formation course, we go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing, more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it's helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. Let's get back to the show. The end of your book, you talk a lot about this show. You talk about uh, relationality or communion. So the yeah. enchantment that isn't to control us or, and right. so we can control or dominate other things, mm-hmm. but so that we can be caught up in a larger 
reality that makes us more fully human and connects us with this Trinitarian divine life, which you also talk about. Um, maybe, maybe as we close, because we can't get to everything um, in the book, but I, I wonder, many of us, as we're talking about <clears throat> magic, uh, and I know that's a metaphor, we're talking about as a metaphor, um, but a lot of us were taught like magical thinking as Christians. So mm-hmm. if I just, if, if, I, if I say this verse as an incantation, uh, mm-hmm. I can make it happen, or I can believe it, or I can uh, impact things. And so you're, I don't think you're talking about script, using Scripture that way, but I think that's what our, mm-hmm. where our imaginations go from our experience. Could you give us an example, maybe, of how, how what you're saying isn't that, and how, how we can approach Scriptures or submit to Scriptures in a way that lets us be enchanted versus using Scripture— to cast a spell, cast a God spell on something. Yeah. And what you described is, um, again, the word um, using scripture. Whenever anybody asked me, do you have a scripture I could use? I just horrified. No, don't use those words to me. Mm. You don't use scripture. Uh, It's not yours to use. It's not an object. Um, It's not a spell to be cast. Yeah. It's, uh, the human power is, is still there, isn't it? I'm going to, I've got this verse and it's my power verse or this and that versus um, approaching scripture as a gracious invitation into the life of God by the spirit, spirit and word join. And there is a feel, a communicative zone that happens where you actually are in the presence of God. And the scripture is serving, as the Orthodox would say, an icon, as an icon, uh, a portal. And it is a using um, the sense that this scripture is sanctified and fit. John Webster uses those terms in his description of scripture, that it's um, set apart and chosen as a sacred vessel to be used in God's divine economy to transform all creation. And it puts scripture, I think, in the context of divine revelation, of the economy of God. And you get out of all of this, is it in, its inspiration is secondary. You know, the revelation of God is primary and it is the primary means of, uh, you know, I I believe in a closed canon, Mm -hmm. but I also believe in the ongoing work of God and voice of God and and creation and the charismata in all things. So, but I do think that scripture is a norming uh, canon in that. Um, So it's not a closed book in the sense that it doesn't invite the human imagination. It doesn't invite us to participate, but neither is it so open that it's just whatever you whim it to be. Um, And that is, I think a a misunderstanding of this invitation that I see in scripture. Yeah. And there's, there's maybe some, of the things about modernity, sort of this libertarian f- freedom 
that that to to be free, we have to be able to do anything we want. And and mm. what we see in scripture is true freedom is is being freed by love to do what love mm-hmm. requires, to do what love invites us to. And so there's a sense in which oh, yeah. to what you're describing is a true freedom is a is necessarily bounded by relationships and commitments and uh, what it means to be human. Um, yeah. Uh, the book again is reenchanting the text, discovering the Bible as sacred, dangerous, and mysterious. Cheryl, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Matt. I had a great time talking with you. So, one of the lingering wonderings I have after that conversation with Cheryl, you know, she mentioned being slain in the spirit, which is a very uh, Pentecostally thing to say. Mm-hmm. And she also talks about enchantment, wonder, participation, communion. And I, I think people who have these experiences regularly. The Pentecostal um, ones? Yeah, you? like, yeah. you know, like um, the encounter with transcendence and what that does to our bodies and our minds and our spirit. Mm-hmm. I know there's listeners who have like begged God for that mm. kind of experience and haven't had it. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm thinking about them. I'm thinking about when God doesn't, when I don't feel enchanted. You know and I mean? Like when I'm not mm-hmm. caught up in this thing, it's more of a, you know, I got to drag myself to church on Sunday and preach a sermon and, you know, just not feeling it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know what to do about that. I just wanted to name it like, I think, yeah. I think I find part of me like saying uh, uh, a hearty yes to everything she's sharing, but mm-hmm. then there's a part of me that grieves for mm-hmm. how far that feels for me. Do you guys? Can you guys yeah. relate to that? I definitely can. Go ahead, Christy. What were you going to say? Yeah, I just I, I think like in the tradition that we the three of us are in, right? Um, it's different right and so when god shows up in a way that's unexpected um for somebody else it's like i don't know i get jealous like i want that mm. i want to know what that's like yeah. what's you know yeah. um one can i tell a quick story yeah yeah um of a like i'm not pentecostal and yet a couple of weeks ago um we're going through the book of genesis on wednesday night with high school kids and so we were talking about um, basically like how does God speak? How, like when we when we are we asking God to be involved in decisions that we have to make? And a lot of times it's not like God just like gives a neon sign and is like go to this college or marry this person or you know. And so you know you use wisdom from Scripture, but you also use wisdom from other people who are older and wiser than you, and all of these ways of like how do you discern God's will. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so at the very end, I just challenged the kids like, Hey, let's give them all a note card. Why don't you just write a prayer asking God, like, what's an area of your life where you need to ask God, would you just, I'm inviting you in to give us discernment and wisdom into this thing and ask for help. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this girl comes who is really seeking Jesus, but isn't like full on in. Right. Um, and she came back the next week and she's like, Chrissy, I want you to read my card that I wrote last week. And I was like, okay. And so basically it said, 
God, I, I want to see you work and I want to believe that you're going to help me make these decisions or give me some wisdom. But mm. like a lot of times I don't even believe I don't see you at work. I don't feel you at work. And so sometimes I just want to say, God, show me a pink card to know that you're real. Um, <laughs> you know, amen. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she like, you know, I read, I read her little card yeah. and then I was like, cool. Like, I'm glad you were honest with God. She's like, no, do you know what happened on Friday? I was like, what? And she's like, I saw a pink car on my way home from school. And she like teared up y'all. And she was like, I don't know about this whole Christianity thing, but part of me wonders like, okay, God, I think you really are real. And I share that story because at first you're kind of like, okay, I'm sure there's pink cars in the road. Like I excuse (laughs) it away. And yet- I don't know. Part of me is like, God, you work in ways that I do not understand that I sometimes don't experience you in. And, and yet like you're present and active in people's lives in unique ways. And I just want to say yes to all that you're going to do and all that you are doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I love that, uh, Christy. And I, I, I feel that same tension that you're feeling as it regards that story. Cause I, you know, I, I feel the same thing that you've felt Matt about people who have begged God for some kind car. of experience, like a, a pink car, car you know, or and they never get a version it. of that is right. Yeah. And they never get it. And so I think it's so hard to rejoice with, you know, a girl who saw a pink car and has interpreted this as a sign from God that God cares about her. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's beautiful, but it's so hard to affirm that. Yeah. And then also, not make that normative and then not sort of implicitly unaffirm, right. <laughs> you know, like the other experience, which is like, I wish I could see a pink car. Right. It's, it's really hard. It seems yeah. complicated. Yeah. It is really complicated. I mean, I, I grew up charismatic. Y'all. Hmm. So I, I grew up in this and I very much resonate with what you're talking about, Matt, because I felt like I was in that environment but I like, I didn't experience things as readily or easily as the people around me did. Um, and, and it did make me wrestle really deeply mm-hmm. with like, mm-hmm. is there something wrong with me? Am I resistant to God's spirit? Is there yeah. some sort of like unconfessed sin? Like I asked all these questions all the time. Um, and I don't know, I don't know what settled for me. Um, eventually you left. <laughs> or, or, I was like, or I'm maybe, out of here. yeah, or maybe you just stopped sinning so much, Ben. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I eventually figured out all the ways that my uh, you started sin, you started dating sins. your wife. She was like, "Hey, knock it off. Stop sinning. Yeah. I want to be a Christian." Like, You're yeah, like, yeah, "Okay, fine. I'll do it. I'll do it." Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, it's, it's not very far from the truth. Um, <laughs> it's true. It's true. But anyway, I. Anyway, I, I I could talk for a long time about this, but I will just say, I think one of the gifts in my mind, for, for me anyway, personally for me, one of the gifts of coming into the sacramental tradition is that I think it integrated for me my expect my charismatic expectation that God is here and going to do something amazing, right? Like there's there's, God is ready to heal. God is ready to act. God is ready to speak, right? That's kind of the, you know, broad brush strokes. That's the expectation of the charismatic tradition. Um, but the, in when I was in a charismatic church, it was always associated with heightened emotionality, um, 
bodily experience, right? So there was the big slain in the spirit, right? It's like something, there's some power that has like, like take, it's touched my body, not just my mind, you know, and not just my emotions, but my body. But I think coming into the sacramental tradition has been so helpful for me because that encounter, that it's still that God is here and God is ready to speak and to act and to heal, but it's not necessarily going to be overtly happening through transcendent experience. It happens in the body and the blood. It happens in the Eucharist. And so I've found it to be a, a great gift to me to know that grace is being communicated to me in this bread and in this wine, no matter how I feel, no matter if I'm paying attention, if I, if I liked the sermon or didn't, if I felt inspired or not, there is something, something settling to me about coming to the altar and receiving the bread and the wine that feels like it settles my faith. Like yeah. you don't have to have a transcendent experience today. You can just take this bread. You can just take this wine and trust that God's at work. So I don't know. That's been helpful for me. Yeah. That's probably a good word to end on. Yeah. Chrissy, you know how... Listener, go get yeast. Chrissy, you know how I always tell a joke at the end of our podcast. Yeah, I was actually thinking when we're talking about you, Chris, maybe don't tell a joke. (laughs) You don't think a joke about the body and blood of Christ would be uh, appropriate? No. (laughs) No. Sorry. Sorry, listeners. No joke at the end of this podcast. Do you know where I keep all my dad jokes? (laughs) No. In a database. I do. Matt, I keep them there. Never fails. It wasn't. It wasn't to be. It wasn't a joke about nope. the Eucharist. Yeah, I appreciate that. Would have been, that. Uh, I do think Matt would have been <laughs> immediately for that. So. <laughs> All right, well, listener, you uh, just like uh, poof, he disappears in a the, puff of smoke. The, the public shame of my friends has kept me out of hell one more week. <laughs> But tune in next week to see Thank if goodness. I uh, go straight yeah. go straight to hell or not. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But he'll be on the oh, podcast yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. next week. Most likely. Most likely. Most likely. <laughs> all right, everybody. Yeah. All right. All kidding Cheers. aside, see you all next week. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful or enjoyable, we'd love it if you'd tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our Gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as our email most Fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the show. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.
This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.